Welcome to How Do You Write? I'm your host, Rachel Heron. On this podcast, I talk to authors about how they write, what their process is, and how their lives fit together. I'll keep each episode short so you can get back to writing. Well, hello, writers. Welcome to episode number 199 of How Do You Write? I'm Rachel Heron, and I am so thrilled that you are here today because today we have Becca Syme on the show. If you do not know who Becca Syme is and what she does for writers, uh, this is going to blow your mind. She has blown mine. I'm going to do a little fangirling here pre-show, and then I'm going to fangirl all over her in the interview. She is this amazing coach who uses a tool called Clifton Strengths to basically look at where you are strong and look at where you are weak. There are 34 core strengths. Um, this is something that coaches use in many different professions. Um, businesses do this. It's scientific. It's, it's super interesting, but not that useful if you don't know what to do with it. And Becca knows what to do with it for writers. It has changed my life. I took her write better, faster class, maybe about a year ago. Didn't actually even finish it. Just got so much from being in the class and doing the homework and stuff. I was kind of haphazard with it, but I really, really appreciated what she said to me in our one-on-one about my strengths and how they could work for me. And that changed a lot of my process. Basically, we talk about this in the interview, but Becca has you look at the things you're really good at and do better with those. And basically forget about the stuff that you are bad at. Because even if you worked really, really hard to make the things that you are naturally bad at better, they're not going to get as good as working hard to make the things you're already a badass at even better. Um, so I'm just going to tell you what my strengths are. So, and what I've learned from them just really, really quickly. This is not Becca talking. This is me talking with my very limited knowledge, um, but how it works and how it's changed my writing. So num- my number one is input. That means that I want to absorb all information all the time. If you are constantly reading, constantly scrolling, constantly diving deep into rabbit holes that really interest you, you might have high input. It's great. That serves to... um really inspire me for a lot of my writing. That's my number one. My number two is intellection. That can be a little bit problematic and it's also awesome, uh, but it means I need to think a lot. I can't just go off half-cocked even though I try. I really have to do a lot of thinking before I do something. This has been pivotal in me understanding my process that I can't just sit down and write garbage. I definitely write garbage. That's what I write. That's the first draft. But I have to think about the garbage before I write it or I just can't write. If I don't know what is, if I haven't thought about what's going to happen next, I can't write. And I have been forcing myself for a dozen years using sheer discipline and will to make myself sit down and write something that I know on a really deep level isn't working. And I throw myself against it again and again without thinking. Um, turns out the discipline for me is way down the list. I do not have high discipline, which explains a lot about it. But as soon as I sit down and start jotting notes about what I'm going to write next, as soon as I start brainstorming, as soon as I start thinking, it 
the, the, the ice breaks up and I'm able to move through the water again, to use a very clunky metaphor. So knowing that for me, writing has to have additional time built in just for thinking has changed everything. It has made writing for first drafts so much easier and it's made revision even more pleasant. Number three for me is achiever. I'm just going to do the top five. Number three for me is achiever, which means I love a list. I love to check something off. And here is something that has concretely helped me as an achiever. I now have a completed list and everything I complete during the day, I write down, I keep it per week. And at the end of the week, I have a majorly long list of all the things I did. Um, one of the things with Achiever is that my Achiever in my brain is always telling me I'm not doing a much, not doing enough. I'm not doing as much as I could and I'm being lazy. I have known on the surface that that is a lie, but that is something that's gotten me down since I was like seven. I swear to God, since I was seven or eight, I remember the feeling of not being able to get as much as I wanted done. And that's just part of the achiever's job. The achiever will always say there's more to do, check off more off of those boxes. And now I get to say, oh, that's your job. That's why you feel like that. But look at your list. Oh my God, how much have you gotten done? Life-changing, life-changing people. Number four is surprise, positivity, um, which is an excellent trait. I love having it as a trait. It means I am a great cheerleader. Combined with achiever, however, my positivity can sometimes sneak up on me from behind and tap me on the shoulder and say, you really could write three more books this month. You've got this. So knowing that I need to balance my positivity against my achiever and know that probably one of them is lying, if not both, super, super helpful. I have a tendency to say yes to everything and then I need to backpedal out of things. Um, knowing that has helped so much. And number five, I have strategic, which really helps me with my low discipline, I have, I make strategies to get work done. I don't need discipline. I have strategies. I have plans in place to get my work done and it's been working. So what if I don't have a perfectly disciplined day where everything happens the same way every day? I've never had that. And Becca's given me the permission not to need that. I think we talked about that a little bit in the interview. Um, and I'll just mention really quick that my number seven is activator An activator married with achiever amazing. Activator gets things started. Achiever finishes things. So combining Achiever with Activator along with strategic to do the planning and intellection to do the thinking and input to know where to get the information that I need plus positivity, which makes me believe in myself. These are my superpowers when I put them together. Who needs discipline? Who needs adaptability? Which is just like my, almost my lowest trait. Um, who needs developer? I don't need these things. I've got these other things that I can focus on and become strong in. So that is a brief testimonial for Becca. And seriously, um, my wife asks me if I'm in a cult. I'm a member of Becca Nation, um, which is unofficial. I am a member of her Patreon. I basically will do anything she says. Um, so yeah, maybe I'm in a cult, but it's a really good cult. And I would like every writer in the world to work with Becca. I am not getting paid anything for this. I am not an affiliate. I don't even know if she does affiliates, but if you want to up your strengths game, I recommend going to her. And I was so pleased to have this interview um, with her. I just really, really respect what she's doing and how she's bringing writers free. So that is my cavelling 
over. Oh my gosh, can't wait for you to listen um, to that interview. What's been going on around here? Well, we had our orange day yesterday where what all day, it actually started in the morning and then got darker, darker as the day went on. I'm sure you saw all those orange photographs of buildings and cars needing lights to drive because it was so dark. Basically the smoke in the Bay Area, much of um, California, actually, the smoke got trapped above the marine layer. So it shut out all the light. It was like being in that moment of a, of a total eclipse, um, except it didn't stop. It was quite honestly terrifying. Uh, in the house, it was pitch black with all the curtains open. And our house is very, very bright. It's got a ton of windows. Um, pitch black. Could not walk through the house without all the lights on, just as if it were nighttime. Uh, my lizard brain did not like it at all. My lizard brain all day was telling me to run, to get safe, get out. And there was nowhere to go. So I had one of those days where it was really hard to get the work done because my body kept wanting to stand up and leave. But I didn't. I have developed through Becca's classes. This was a inspiration from one of her classes. I have developed something I'm not sure if I shared with you yet. So, oh, I think I might've mentioned it, but it is the decision tree for when it is hard to focus. I will go ahead and put that in the show notes for this episode at howdyright.net. Um, if you're having a hard time and you're bothered by current events, and current events are keeping you from getting your writing done, come over, grab, download that decision tree and put it into use. It's been something that's been helping me a lot. When I'm sitting around flapping, going, oh my God, the sky is falling. The sky was literally falling. And I get out the decision tree and then I go to work. Uh, one thing I almost forgot to mention, because I'm a Patreon at the level that I am for Becca, love to support her. Um, She sent me a free copy, signed copy of Dear Writer, You Need to Quit. If you're watching on the video, I'm going to hold it up. It's a fantastic book. Dear Writer, You Need to Quit. What do you need to quit? What do you need to quit to get this stuff done? Um, It's a fabulous book. I already own it though, of course. So I would like to send this to a lucky listener. All you need to do to enter is either sign up for my email newsletter, which is at rachelherron.com slash write, and then respond to it. Excuse me, Alexa, stop. I use her for everything. I hope I didn't just make your A-L-E-X-A stop. That's my reminder. I have a podcast coming up soon, but this is more important. So go sign up for my writer's uh, newsletter, free encouragement, rachelherron.com slash write, and then respond to it and say, I joined because I want a chance at Becca's book. Uh, if you are already on my email list, all you have to do is send me a quickie email that says I'd like to enter the drawing for Becca's book. Um, international entries are okay. I believe in this book so much, I will spend $40 to send it to a lucky winner on Australia if that is you. So that's all you got to do. Any questions about that, just go to howdoyouwrite.net and click on this episode with Becca. So that horrific orangeness is gone. Today, we just have falling ash, which is incredibly thick, very hard to breathe. My wife is having a problem because she's got asthma and it's really difficult. But you know what? Our houses aren't burning down. The firefighters are doing their level best to protect California and Oregon and Washington and um, welcome global warming overlords. It's It looked yesterday like being in the middle of Blade Runner or living on Mars. It was it was, it was scary. I'm glad it's over. It's going to happen again though. Um, 
if you go to my Instagram, you can see uh, how I show how Californians wear a double mask because you got to wear an N95 to filter the smoke when you're outside, but an N95 doesn't protect anyone from COVID. So then you have to wear a mask over that. So I have a special method of doing that. Go to my Instagram, Rachel Heron, to look at that. It's um, quite alarming. Nothing else of note is going on. I turned in the final, 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 final little mini revision. It took me like an hour to my editor. So Hush Little Baby is off my desk. And what being off my desk means is that it has been accepted, formally accepted by my editor as a book that is good enough to go to print. I have succeeded in fulfilling my part of that contract. It does not occur inside the contract until the very last revision is done. This is pre-copy edit. So now my editor pushes it off her desk. As soon as she pushes it off her desk over to the copy editor station, I get paid. That is when it's called delivery and acceptance. The acceptance is the hard part. Um, so I'll get paid next week, the one quarter of this royalty. Um, again, I they broke this book and my last book up into four payments instead of the old fashioned three. I guess now we're going to four. You get a quarter of your um, royalty, not royalty, a quarter of your advance when you sign the contract. You get another quarter when you deliver the book and it's accepted, which just happened. You get another quarter when the book is published, which will happen in spring in a hardcover. And then in my contract, I get another quarter when the book comes out in paperback the next year which is fine. That means that money is rolling in. And actually, because Stolen Things just came out in paperback a couple of weeks ago, maybe a month ago, I just got paid for that. So it's really nice to have those little chunks of money coming in. Um, would I love to get an advance all up front? Sure. Do I mind getting money over the transom into my uh, bank account? I really love it. I can recommend. So that's happening. I'm working on revisions of You're Already Ready, and my classes are divine. My new 90 days to done and 90 day revision are filled with the best people, and we're having so much fun, and they're working so hard, and I am so proud of them, and I'm in the trenches with them working on my revision, so all of that is good. Anyway, I'm babbling because we are wasting precious time. You need to get into this interview with Becca Syme. Uh, dear writer, you need to quit. You need to do a lot of things, but First on that list is to be here with Becca. I hope that you enjoy. I hope that you become a convert and join our non-cult. It is not a cult, but it is freaking awesome. So enjoy writers. Happy writing and we'll talk soon. Do you wonder why you're not getting your creative work done? Do you make a plan to write and then fail to follow through again? Well, my sweet friend, maybe you'd get a lot out of my Patreon. Each month, I write an essay on living your creative life as a creative person, which is way different than living as a person who binges Netflix 20 hours a week, and I have lived both of those ways, so I know. You can get each essay and access to the whole back catalog of them for just a dollar a month, which is an amount that really, truly helps support me at this here writing desk. If you pledge at the $3 level, you'll get motivating texts from me that you can respond to. And if you pledge at the $5 a month level, you get to ask me questions about your creative life that I'll answer in the mini episodes. So basically, I'm your mini coach. Go to patreon.com slash Rachel, R-A-C-H-A-E-L, to get these perks and more. And thank you so much. Well, I could not be more pleased today to welcome to the show Becca Syme. Hello, Becca! 
Hi. I'm so excited to be here. (laughs) Oh, stop it. I am the most excited. Let me give you a little bio and then I will go ahead and fangirl all over you some more. Um, R.L. Syme is a USA Today bestselling author of Small Town Romance and Cozy Mystery. She writes Small Town Romance as Becca Boyd and Cozy Culinary Mysteries as R.L. Syme. As Becca Syme, she is the creator and founder of the Better Faster Academy. She teaches the popular Write Better Faster course as well as Strengths for Writers and is the author of the Dear Writer, You Need to Quit book series. Becca, I think that's honestly the first place I heard of you was Dear Writer, You Need to Quit. I think I heard you on a podcast or something, and I remember becoming really mortally soul offended by the words, Dear Writer, You Need to Quit. And of course, like I'm really interested in those kind of reactions. So I was yeah. like, well, I got I to gotta look up that book. And I read the book, fell in love. I just can't get enough of what you do. I've done mm-hmm. your courses. I'm a Patreon supporter. I'm doing your little, um, what are you calling those? The, the intensives that we're oh, doing. Oh, the intensives. Yeah, our secret classes. Yeah. Exactly. And I just want to talk to you basically about your writing process because you probably don't get a chance to talk about that very often. You're always talking about the Clifton Strengths. But will you tell our listeners who have never heard of you what the heck a Clifton Strength is, why you yeah. teach it, and what it means to writers? Yeah, it's, uh, it's a success metric, right? Like I, I'm a success coach. That's what I, like what I have done, you know, previous to being a writer and what I do. And uh, primarily I'm looking for the designated patterns in which people are successful. So the Clifton Strengths was uh, an act, it started off as an academic research project where someone was asking, you know, decades and decades ago, is it possible that there's a pattern to how people are good at stuff? and how like the best of the best people stand out at what they do. Is there a pattern to that that's predictable? And which is different from how most personality tests are created, right? Where they're like, hey, I think there's four types of people. Let's make a test for that. Um, This was very much like, let's go interview the best NBA basketball stars, the best housekeepers at Disneyland, the best CEOs, like let's the best teachers. Let's see how they do what they do. And is there a pattern there? Um, and they interviewed 2 million people. They found a pattern, uh, 2 million best of the best people. Holy uh, they found God. a pattern. Yeah, it was an amazing process. And, uh, and then when they created the test, it was not to try to explain everything about life. It's specifically trying to explain how are you successful? And, um, and so what I do then, cause I've been doing this uh, since 2006, 2005 ish. Um, so what I do is we look at how you score on that metric because it's, you know, it was gathered, it's been analyzed, like whatever, it's a metric. So, um, we look at how you score on that metric and what your top strengths are, and then how can we translate that into helping you be more successful, um, in how you are the most successful already, right? Um, but in writing instead of just like as a human, although we talk about the human stuff too, but the human stuff comes in, but, or I think you, you catch all of the, all of our eyeballs is through the writer portal. And the thing that kind of blew my mind is that there are 34 strengths that they look at and you, and probably, you know, Gallup and the people who do it, uh, who, who own the, the metrics, you know, probably say this too, but I really take it from you is that 
you look at strengthening your top strengths and yes. kind of ignoring your bottom strengths, right? Yes. Why do, why do we do that? Well, because I want people to be successful, right? <laughs> and uh, because that's the way they gathered the data was specifically about uh, let's go interview the people who are known to be the best at what they do in their industry, like the top of the top. And the guy who made this, um, he has one of the strengths that's obsessed with success. And so he was not wanting to know what the general personality of the population was, but literally, how did you get to be this successful, right? And so uh, he did those interviews and it's like, well, there's a pattern here. And it's not just a pattern like, oh, this is a generic pattern. It's down to, so one of Rachel's top strengths is an election. Yeah. It's two. down to, like she was just in a class with 30 other in election writers and they literally use the same language to describe how they do things without even knowing that they're doing that and that's what they discovered when they were doing these interviews oh. is like a futuristic in bangladesh and a futuristic in canada talk the same way about their how their success happens because they're utilizing these neural nets that are very cemented right and so for me a lot of people are really into neuroplasticity and they're like oh but we're plastic we can do whatever we want and i'm like no, we can't. <laughs> like when, I mean, first of all, that's a hard enough thing for people to hear, right? Is you can't just do whatever you want because you have all of these cemented pathways that are less plastic. It's not that they're not plastic. It's that they're less plastic. So for me, then I think strategically, right? If I know what those less plastic places are, then I'm already firing so quickly and easily in those places. Mm. Let's work with the places where I'm already like absolutely focused in on how to be successful naturally in those places. Instead of saying, for instance, um, there's a strength called discipline. Which, Instead is, of saying, which is very low for me. I think. Which is also low for me. Yeah. And, and no offense to the discipline people, but like I'm plenty successful without it. Thank you very much. I don't need it. Um, and so I would say, like, if we decide as a culture that discipline is the strength everyone should have, which is kind of what we have done, yeah. especially for writers, uh, then all the people who are not hardwired for discipline as a success pattern, again, it's not that I can't be disciplined with a small b, but if I'm not hardwired for that as a success pattern, then what am I doing trying to make myself do that when I could have just as much or more success than someone doing the way that I do it right so then for me what I like about it is it doesn't try to say we're not plastic it doesn't try to say you can't change in fact the big part of what I do is try to make you better and and hone those places uh better faster right like that's why we're called that um but to say let's not fight against the places where we're less plastic than the other places and let's work with what we're already so good at because you've had decades and decades of firing in your neurons in this way. So unlearning those patterns is going to take a lot of time. And do you really want to do that? Right. Wouldn't right. it be easier to just do it this way? And I so could it's spend like, 
so much energy, so much of my energy trying to be disciplined yes. and I would not do well at it. And I've spent basically 48 years trying to be disciplined. Right. Yeah. But now that I know that achiever and activator are in my top 10, yeah. I, mean, I just, I rested. That is all the discipline I need. I know how yes. to activate and I know how to check off a list, you know, and yeah. putting those things together. So you have, this is my time to say, you have really changed my life and the oh, way thank you. that I work and the way that I accept not only myself, but all of my students for the last like semester or two, I've had a real, since I've been working with you, I've had a much greater appreciation for that diversity. And my, you know, I never knew, I never thought my way was the best way, but I know that my way is the best way for me. And I like to present mm -hmm. a lot of different options to people, which is why I have a podcast all about writing process because people need to hear all of the things. Yeah. Um, but knowing that everybody is so different and has these incredible skills that I might not even understand because they're so low in my strengths has yeah. really changed me as a person. My, my, my wife is all really, really Becca again. <laughs> Let's talk about Becca again. Yeah. Great. Um, <laughs> I get that. I always, I'm like, it's not me. I mean, it, I'm happy to be the purveyor of the information, right? But what I love about it is that it's not me at all. It's this tool. The tool is just what the work that they did to make sure that it was accurate is amazing. And it's because the guy who did it was so committed to wanting something that could be completely accurate for every single person yeah. so instead of like the four quadrant stuff which is always only right. if, you, if you're familiar with the the bell curve right like the standard deviation um they're only ever accurate for like one standard deviation and he didn't like that he wanted it to be because he knows how complex people are and in order for it to explain our complexity the tool itself has to be incredibly complex. And it is like, it's the reason there's 34 instead of four yeah. um, or like some of the other strengths programs that have come up since this are like 12 or 15 or something like that. Um, but it really is. He wanted it to be as precise as possible. And that's why people get such a huge change out of it is because all the work that needed to be done was done 60, you know, 50 years ago. And so, um, it's pretty yeah, amazing. But you are also incredibly talented at knowing writers. That's actually yeah. brings me right into where I, w I wanted to talk about. You are not just this strength coach for writers. You're a writer. You are a working, yeah. but in the chair writer, which I so appreciate. I, I, one of my pet peeves in life is the people who write books about how to write, but they haven't written any books. Yeah. Or they coach people how to write and they don't write. So um, yeah. you are doing it. So I would love to know yeah. and feel free to use any of the strengths language and explain any of oh, it. Sure. But um, yeah. what is your writing process? How do you actually get, and I'm specifically, I guess, asking about the fiction the at fiction. first here. Yeah. How do you get the yeah, fiction? Yeah. Because the nonfiction process is completely different. Totally different. Like totally different. Um, so I started writing fiction like a lot of us, right? Like I started writing fiction as soon as I could write. Yeah. Um, and, and actually my very first novel that I wrote, which was the one that ended up selling, I was one of those indies who got into indie very early. So like, you know, 2012, when you could just sort of throw a book up and it would make you, you know, a hundred thousand dollars. Yeah. Um, so I was one of the early adopters and, um, my very first book, I always say, which is why it's not available anymore, um, was basically <laughs> Julie Garwood fan fiction. Like, <laughs> 
it was my own story, but it was pretty much like, I love Sounds her. Sounds great. <laughs> and so I kind of wrote what I love, you know, and which is why it sold so well. Um, because everybody else who also likes 13th century, you know, Scottish kilted, you know, whatever. Heck yeah. uh, the Highland Renegades was the name of the, of the series and, uh, and it sold well and it did well. And, you know, uh, um, and then as I started transitioning, because one of my personality traits is I don't stick in one genre because I get really bored. What is that, that genre? So um, both learner and ideation have uh, some of that where it's the, like the process of learning how to write in a genre is really fun for me. And so, I mean, I think I've written in eight different fiction genres at this point. Um, and while well, three of them have sold well enough that I could have made like a living doing it, but then like five of them <laughs> <laughs> did not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? So I do. Um, it was definitely experimental. But so, so much of my process as a writer was driven by, I love learning how to write a new thing. And because as a reader, I love to read so much, you know, broad spectrum of, of stuff. Um, anytime I would get kind of bored with what I was writing, I'd be like, oh, maybe I'll go try romantic suspense. I'll try paranormal romance. I'll try, you know, and I would keep sort of moving into what I thought was fun. Um, and even cozy, which I've loved and, and have had a great time writing. Um, like I'm, I'm going to transition into another version of cozy because Ooh. like as a learner I just love learning how to make the audience happy in that genre and so I don't have one of those trajectories where like I hit like sometimes I wish I had where I just hit the Highlanders and then I would have like 700 Highlanders books out by now and I'd be you would be a million dollars the Highlander be, writer yeah I'd be no. like the queen or whatever like I that's just not me <laughs> this explains a lot me. about why I have written in five different genres I have yeah, Highlander sure and I too, just right? yeah, yeah I just can't get I can't I, I got so bored with romance I could kill myself with contemporary yes. romance yep me yeah. too and but now like I'm coming back like now that I've been doing mystery for uh three and a half three and a half years now I'm like oh I'm a little bored with the mystery so like I'm gonna go back and do uh another version of romance that I haven't done before and so I, I feel like as a learner that's part of my process is knowing that I'm not gonna be one of those people and and what I love about this though and this is why I think the strengths are just so consistent is I also don't care like do I want to make money? Of course, everybody needs to eat, but like, I want to make enough money to be not stressed out. Right. But like, I definitely am not one of those people who looks at all of the big, you know, high figure or whatever, or things that like, I don't shoot for those things. I love to just write stories. And so I'm wired to be happy being a learner. Um, and the most fun I will ever have is like right now I'm reading all of these books in this new genre to like get a feel for the emotions and stuff like that. And to just see what people are doing. So I don't do anything uh, too similar. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I'm like, I love just cracking books open and learning about the genre expectations and reading the reviews and seeing what people like, like that is cracked to me. That so totally, totally. Yeah. That, how, where is your input? 
Uh, one. It's number yeah, one. Me too. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Um, okay. So then how do you, in terms of process, how do you structure your days so that you get fiction done as well as all, I mean, you are so busy coaching. I can't even believe all of the things you do. The more I see yeah. what you're doing behind the scenes, like she's doing that. Oh my gosh. She's got that class going. She's got that one. Like, how do you do it? Uh, well, thank God I'm not married. And, and I mean that like very honestly, like, um, because when I've been in periods where I've had uh, because of my personality and I can explain that in a second, when I've been in periods where I've had, uh, really intense relationships, like romantic relationships, I always frustrate them because I don't need as much from the relationship as, as they do. And so I, I'm like, I want to work. I love, and I'll take my computer while we're watching TV. And I always get like, uh, are you going to talk to me? And I'm like, I'm listening. You know what I mean? Like while I'm working. Um, and so God bless the dude who eventually ends up with Becca because he will be a saint. I promise. Um, but honestly, I get so much done because I'm not married and I don't have kids. And, and there is the, what we call the essential pain, right? Of when I have more than one priority in my life, I have more than one priority. If I have a wife or a husband or children, they deserve my time just as much as my career does. And so it's that. reasonable, yeah, you know, yeah. that I would spend more time with them. So some of it is I have a lot of freedom um, to make my own. Uh, the Another part of it is with my personality, um, I have a, a strength called a ranger, which means that I like filling the plate more and more to sort of see how much I can have spinning at one time. <laughs> and I actually do better and am more productive the more stuff that I give myself mm -hmm. to do as opposed to like cutting down. So it's very similar to Achiever in that way, right? Where like, I feel really good if I, and I have a big plate and when it's full, I feel great. Yeah. Um, and so my structure is different every day. And I think this is the other piece about, you know, not having something like discipline or consistency as a strength, which are all about uh, predictability and sameness, which are awesome. They're great. I just don't have them. Um, and so I don't write every day. I don't write fiction every day. Um, and what I tend to do, one of my friends calls it portaling, is like, I'll sort of portal into a book and just want to like write as much as I can because I get really lost in the world and then I kind of portal out and I I don't do well with the 10 minutes and 15 minutes and it's like my friend Terry jokes he's like uh, he's one of our coaches right yeah. he, he always jokes with me he's like I could see when you did the Vanjie book because my last mystery I did in like Two, two or two or two and a half weeks, I think I wrote 80,000 words. Oh my God. And yeah. And he's like, I could see it because you got high, like, you, <laughs> uh, like a druggie. Right. Uh, and he's you like, cracked I could, out. yeah, like I was cracked out and he's like, I could see that you wanted to do that more again. Um, and of course, you know, that can't happen all the time. And so I was in a slower period and I really just put the blinders on and kind of uh, you know, went into the world for a while. And then I had to come back out after the, uh, the book was done. And then, so now I'll have to get back in. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so when I do structure my days, when I'm doing fiction, I will often like, you know, with, with my assistant, I'll be like, I'm going to block off until nine o'clock, you know, or 10 o'clock. 
and then I'll get up at four and I'll just write for six hours. And uh, we have this thing on my Patreon called The Office where we all meet in person on Zoom and we write together. And I'll just go sit in the office and write, 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 and then go, you know, work and then get back in and write, 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 write. So that's kind of how I, but yeah, I never do the same thing every day. That explains, uh, you and I are similar in many ways. And that, yeah. that explains so much about me too, where I've, I've always been trying to craft the perfect day for myself and it just doesn't stick. It doesn't yeah. stick. It does, and, and, and every that's perfect awesome. day and is exciting. different, right? Every perfect day is different. I yeah. love it. I love the how different my days are. I would never want, and that's again, evidence of the low discipline. It's not that I think people who do that are doing something wrong. It literally is that I don't get any feeling of success out of doing the same thing every single day. And people who are higher in discipline or higher in consistency or responsibility sometimes, those are all strengths, right? Um, They feel so good when they can just do things like every single day the same, they feel so great. And it's like that feeling that they get, that euphoria, that's what I feel when all my days are different. Oh, yes, 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 yes. What is your biggest challenge when it comes to writing? Uh, the fact that all my days are different. Yeah. So yeah. like sometimes, you know, the, the what is that uh, from Peter Parker? Like with great power comes great responsibility. I feel like it's the, there's always a downside when you're really good at something. And that means that when I'm really good at not being consistent, then times when I need consistency mm-hmm. are super challenging for me because um, I'll get into a deadline and it'll be like, I need to write every single day for the next three weeks. But because I'm so used to being available for people, like I'll get a call, like, hey, can we do coaching? You know, I'm in a crisis. And, and Crystal will be like, you really need to, you know, can you do this? And I admit, I have these times of like, oh, yes, you know, like yeah. I want to stay in the consistency, but then part of me is like, but I, I really got yeah. to do the non-consistent thing. So um, planning is hard because I never, like, it's unpredictable, but I think I've just come to terms with that. And I'm like, yeah, it's just, it's what's going to happen. Where is your adaptability? Uh, 16 or 17 okay. yeah. out of 34. Okay. So it's not super high, but a ranger is like adaptability, but not people focused, task focused instead. <sighs> and so it's very um, almost, let's see how we can fit all of this together. And I literally will think of it in my head. I'll be like, well, I have this block. So let me split that block in half. We'll do the coaching here. I'll move this block here. And it just kind of hap- like wow. place like that. Yeah. Very cool. What is your um, biggest joy when it comes to the writing? Ooh, um, probably the readers. Like, so the Vanjie series, which is my mystery, uh, has not sold as well as really probably any of my other series. It's weirdly is not the best selling. Hmm. Um, And I say weirdly because it has a cult following. Like I cannot even explain, like I I wrote three books in a row um, and released them three months apart back in, I think 2018 uh, was the last release. And, uh, and then I took almost two years off before I released the next book. And that was not intentional. I got emails almost every day or Facebook posts 
almost every day and sometimes multiple times a day but it was from like the same 400 people so it was not it wasn't like when you hear of a cult following like that usually it's like you know representative of 10,000 people or something this was literally like the same you know 400 fans and god bless them they are obsessed with her they talk about her my sleuth like she's a real person they'll sometimes post about oh i think banji would like this and then they'll tag me in something that's and I adorable love it's so fun it's the best but it, wow. it is frustrating that the books don't sell better um but i also get it so like in cozy I am on the long side. I write 90-ish thousand mm -hmm. and, and most cozies are long at 60. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so um, I write very long and complicated stories and they're a little bit darker. We call them, <laughs> this is sort of explains why they don't sell. Um, <laughs> we call them grim, dark cozies. <laughs> that sounds awesome to me. They're, they're like, if, if, if you had Disneyland, but then there's a very thin veneer and underneath it was like, you know, Halloween town. Yeah. Um, that's kind of what they're like. Cause they feel very cutesy, mm. but at the same time, they're super dark and the undertones are very dark. And so, and they're really complicated. And so, uh, and they really don't follow a genre. And so they do not market easily or yeah. well. And, um, but the people who love them, love them so much. And so I get the most joy, I think, out of talking to the fans like Vanjie's real. Because to me, she's real. Oh. Right? And so I love that. I love uh, the the shared delusion of the fiction, yeah. right? Um, it's just like we're all lost in the same world together. and uh, And I just love that. Speaking of being able to market, how do you, how do, this is not on our list of questions. How do you market? Um, do you run ads? Do you have somebody that does that for you? What, what level of time are you putting into that? Because I'm, I'm speaking selfishly because I put like zero time into it and I always need, no, I need to do more. Yeah. I would say the same thing. Like <laughs> I put almost no time into it. And I, I, in fact, the last release, I hired somebody to help me with the release and about halfway through the planning, I was like, I don't want to do any of this stuff. <laughs> I'm like, out. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of did. I kind of tapped out a little bit. And, uh, and I was like, because I, I don't think it sells books. And it isn't that I think it's worthless for everybody. I think for me and for the way that I work, um, I don't easily market things. Mm. And it's not that I don't like talking about it. It's not, it's literally is. So I'm going to nerd out a little bit on strengths for just a yes, second. Please. So I have a strength called significance and it's my number, um, number five strength. And what that means is I want what I do to matter to people. Mm. And so I don't, so just as a, for instance, I don't market for my nonfiction. I don't zero. Like wow. I finally started running ads on my nonfiction books because literally my staff was like, we will kill you <laughs> if you don't try to get these books into the hands of people. Um, I don't market. I don't do affiliates. I don't do any of that stuff. And the purpose is because if it stops filling because we're not being helpful enough, then we need to pay the consequences for that. 
Mm. Like I'm not going to trick people into taking my classes. Not again, not, this isn't about anybody else's marketing except mine. Right. 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 But I feel for, for what I want to get out of it. I only want to do things that are making such a significant difference to people that they have their own legs. So I feel the same way about my fiction. And I've had to unlearn some of that because I also, you know, need mm. to eat. I mean, I need to make money. Um, and I do care about the books. And I know that it's really hard to sell them these days without advertising. And so I will now run ads because I have to. Um, because in order to, you know, sort of quell this thing of like, if I don't run them, no one is going to see the books. Um, but I don't do any other advertising. Like I have a newsletter, but we don't use it. And I have a Facebook page, but we don't use it. Um, because to me, the test of whether a book should sell or not is an important test for me to pass. So I want to get it in front of enough of the right people that I can tell if I've done my job or not. And then at that point, if it doesn't pick up on its own, I trust the market. I didn't do a good enough job. I need to go back and figure out how to do a better job um, as a writer. And so, you know, that's, that's what I learned with the every genre, right, is I've subsequently learned anytime I do too much marketing, my personality balks a lot. Yeah. Um, like just as a, for instance, I feel like the most successful fiction series that I ever wrote, I co-wrote with somebody under a pen name and we made a lot of money but I feel like I rode her coattails mm. into that money, right? Mm -hmm. Like not into the books being good, but into how much money we made. And I had a real hard time calling myself a six figure author because I was like, mm. <sighs> like, I don't know that I would have been able to make that on my own writing in that genre. And so um, just knowing how my significance functions has allowed me to make a lot of choices to say like, okay, I'm not going to be like other people. And so um, I'm not going to listen to people who are like, oh, you should only write in one genre. You should do all the marketing. You should. And anytime I hear that, I'm just like, but should I? Well, you have that beautiful um, thing that everybody who gets to know you knows learns really quickly is the pushback against the should is the question, the premise, question or as you premise. say, QTP. QTP. Yeah. <laughs> so we're diverting from the questions, throwing the rest of the questions yeah. out. What can you tell us a little bit about that QTP? Yeah. So um, because I know so much about how different we are and I've seen, cause it isn't just like a theory for me. It's yeah. literally like, I didn't write a nonfiction book about this stuff until I had seen enough data of how this has changed authors' lives that I felt like I had something important to say about it. So I had coached thousands of writers already by the time I wrote the first book. And the reason I did it was because I saw the biggest transformations always happened when someone was following advice from someone else that doesn't know them and doesn't know anything about their brain, but has decided that they're an expert about something and for good reason, usually. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but they were trying to follow advice that wasn't for them. It was for somebody else and they didn't know it wasn't for them. And so when we came along, I would get this moment of like, you know, but I should write every day. And I'm like, but should you, and not just the way I say it now, which is sort of cutesy, like, 
but should you? Right? Like, <laughs> the yeah. But it was actually like, are you looking at the data? You, yeah. your, your own data says you shouldn't write every day, but you're ignoring the data because someone else has convinced you that they know more than you do about how you should be productive. And, and I sound a little preachy about this because it's not, for me, it's not about the experts or what the experts should or shouldn't say. They should say exactly what they're saying. We are not good decision makers as listeners of nonfiction and consumers of nonfiction because we don't ever question the premise of why somebody might be saying something. Mm. So, and, and that was really how QTP came about was that, you know, starting in 2014 and 2015, I was starting to coach writers and seeing we really are believing things we shouldn't believe because our assumption is that the expert knows the best practice. And most of us don't know enough about neurobiology to know just what it means that we have different neural nets than other people. They don't understand. And especially because neuroplasticity is such a big buzzword and everybody's like, you can do whatever you want. You're neuroplastic. And I'm like, <laughs> you don't understand neuroplasticity, buddy. Uh, I have this, I have this image of neuroplasticity. It's um, uh, one of my, my wife's relatives lives on the Oregon trail. Like there is a cut from like, you could just walk in front of the, the ranch and there's the Oregon trail. And that is neuroplastic. That's a, that's, that's a, that's a piece of mud. And if you put enough water there, maybe those ruts would go out, but those ruts were worn yeah. 150 years ago. And the, the two wagon ruts are still there. You know, after all of these storms, after 150 years, yes. it's neuroplastic. You could dig that up and move that mud around, but otherwise it's staying as a rut. Yeah. And unless you have a way to dig it up with like a backhoe, <laughs> like the yeah. natural process itself, you would have to start crossing that path yes. with another, like the same thing that made it like to keep the metaphor Ooh, the same. Yes. It's not like you have a, access to a backhoe. Yeah. Like, and, and a lot of people who talk about neuroplasticity, they're like, oh, but if you do enough, you can change. And I'm like, okay, dude, let's talk about this. The, because it's, it's always a dude. It's not always a dude. You know what I mean? But in my head, because sometimes yeah. it's women, yeah. but in my head, it's, it's dude because it's the, the person who doesn't know anything about it, but thinks they know everything and they're using the buzzword. So anyway, uh, clearly this is Becca's issue with uh, this metaphor it literally is they don't know enough about how the neuron, the, how neural nets are made to be able to talk about it. Because so let's say uh, they've never studied the actual statistics for human adult behavioral change, like adult behavioral change for, and, and this is universal, right? This is not just like limited to a study. It's replicated over and over again. So anyway, um, adult behavioral change statistics are out a year, 3% of people have assimilated out of 100. Wow. 3%. Out three years, it goes down to 1%. Oh. It's insane. Like most people do not keep what they assimilate. And again, this is what we talk about in my Write Better Faster class. The reasons are multivariable, but the biggest one is because people try to change everything or they try to do a giant system change 
instead of targeted stuff. So for instance, something like Atomic Habits has a better chance of success, which is why he's seen so much success Mm. because where we are plastic, it's the repetitive, Mm -hmm. you know, consistency of things. Yeah. Very small. And, and that's part of why that particular um, neuroplastic kind of philosophy has taken off so much is because it's actually correct. You can actually, like people have a better chance of long-term assimilation, but most of what we do is we try to attack the entire system. So like, let me find a new productivity system. Let me find a new weight loss system. And I'm like, actually probably would have better like luck if you just consistently change one thing about your, your stuff for a long time. And Mm -hmm. then after a while, you eventually start the habit stacking. Right. But because this whole thing of 30 days to a new, a new habit is such a load. It's like, um, I'm not sure if this is an explicit podcast or not. So I'll just say it's a load. We can swear. Um, Yeah. It's bullshit. (laughs) Like just period. Um, because it totally depends on that Oregon trail metaphor is a perfect one. It totally depends on how deep the ruts are Mm -hmm. and how long you've been building them. And so, and this is why strengths are so important for me because I'm like, let's just assume that you're not going to do the work to change the ruts. Like, let's just assume you don't have 40 years to make yourself not intellectual. And a lot of energy. uh, Yes. Backhoe and gasoline. That's the only thing that you do, right? Yeah. So like, let's assume you don't have the energy to change the part about yourself that needs to think about stuff. Let's just assume that. If we assume that that's actually a good thing and not a bad thing, what could we do? And this is what strengths does that I love so much. What could we do if we assume that how you are wired is a positive and not a negative and we don't try to change anything about your wiring, we try to work with like, let's build, let's pave the Oregon trail in your head instead of trying to like gradually blow the wind a little harder over the course of how many friggin' years you would have to do that. I'm sorry. I just get so frustrated with this. Can I, can I share with you one of my most recent like breakthroughs in this? So I'm also number one input and my curse, and it's a, it's a blessing. It's such a blessing, but my curse for the last probably three or four years, especially this year, it seems to have reached this, reached this tipping point. My curse has been email and it is my favorite thing too, because people send me amazing emails and I love responding to them, but knowing that I was input and knowing that my email inbox felt like the ultimate source of input information, these data points that I needed to go out and collect and, and, and use and think about and then go right into intellection. Um, and I was spending two or three days, two, sorry, two or three hours a day in email, really reluctantly and piss offedly. And I tried everything. And I just, um, just a couple weeks ago, I, I used Boomerang anyway. And I just decided I would look at email on late Monday afternoons and late Friday afternoons. It keeps all the other email out except for my friends, my family, my editor, my publisher. And I, I, I shit you not, Becca, you, like your name is whitelisted because I'm like, I am not going to miss one of those intensive classes. I will get it. Um, and the, the quietness, I still keep my email inbox open. I go look at it and it, and it takes me one second to say, oh, it's still empty. And I go back to writing. 
um, because I know that that input part of my brain wanted to see that information that was coming in, I took it away from myself and there's so much peace. Yeah. I, I actually got the email back, the response oh, when I hit yeah. reply and it said, I, and I'm like, good job. <laughs> like literally I thought in my head, that is so smart because we don't need to respond that quickly. It's just that most of us have been trained that people need to hear back from us. Right. So what you yeah. did was you set the expectation. And I also and set a place if they, know. right. And if they say, say the word urgent, and there's a way around box, yep. you'll get in. And I'll, and I, and I think I said in the email, I'll likely see it sooner. I still don't say yes. I'm going to be treated as urgent because it's probably yeah. not urgent. Yes, exactly. You know? Like don't do that as a shortcut because that's <laughs> just not cool. Yeah. But like, but if it really is urgent, you want, and that's what we're always worried about, right? Yes. That, oh, but I'm going to miss something. And I'm like, well, give people away. And I love that you did that because I thought the wording was perfect. And Thanks. this is an example. And I love that you brought that up because this is an example of what could be a debilitating behavior. If you know where it's coming from, yes. you can control it. Like you can pave that friggin' channel yes. and make it and not be like, oh, my input, it's so annoying. It's so horrible. I can't get away I'm from like, my email. No, here's right? the thing. Like, no. And, and this is the key too, is like, there are some things about input that are so gold for writing. I mean, it's, it's almost like each of the strengths has a way to sort of please readers in a particular way. Interesting. And, and there are things about input, like inputs will research farther and longer and deeper than anybody else. And so they find these things. And I can always tell when I, when I have read an input book, because it's like you find these things that nobody else will find. Because as an input, like when I write a character, excuse me. Um, sometimes I'll actually go to like blogs written by people who have the job that my character has. Mm. And like, I'll read those or like I watch a documentary about a particular location or something and I'm looking and casting wide and, and then I find this little golden nugget thing and people will be like, Oh my gosh, did you used to live there? And I'm like, Nope, I'm just input but it resonates on such a deep level with the readers that they remember it. And I think that's part of what, well, I know it is. It's part of what, as a, as a nonfiction writer, um, it's part of what makes people like my book so much because they feel like they hear their own words in the books. And that is because my input collects the, the phrasing because I know that strengths is a language. And so my input collects the phrasing so like I can talk back to you in your own language, even when I don't have those strengths. And that's, I wouldn't be able to do that on the same level that I can without input. So I'm like, I love input. It's the so that's what makes you so good at this particular job, at both of yes. your jobs, at the writing and in the coaching. More so probably in the coaching because yeah. it, like that particular feeling is something you can't get from anything else other than hearing your own words back. You resonate on like literally every level of yourself resonates when you hear the thing that you've said to yourself that you assume makes you weird. Yeah. Right. Oh my gosh, Becca, I could talk to you for four more hours and we can't (laughs) running out of time, but I would love you to tell us. So where, um, tell us about your most recent novel and then tell us where we can find the Academy. So my, my, uh, let's do the Academy first because that's easy. 
Um, I always suggest that people go to the Quit Cast, Q-U-I-T-C-A-S-T on, uh, on YouTube first and, and see if they resonate with stuff. Cause, and this is a, and I practice what I preach. If you don't resonate with us, God bless you on your way. You are going to do great without us. You're fine. Yes, like that yes. is, I'm absolutely a hundred percent happy for people to not come and check us out, but I always want to let them do it in a way that's not threatening first so that you don't, I don't know if you liked it or not. You can just come and check it out. Just go look at the so podcast. Yeah. yeah. And it's also a podcast form, cast. right? Like I so usually watch it. Yet. Oh, okay. I usually watch it on YouTube. So. Oh, great. Yeah. We're, we're working on the podcast. Uh, uh, so, uh, look for the QTP episodes if this stuff has resonated because though we QTP everything. We're like writers write, don't edit as you go, you know, plan, plan your day, book write a month. every day, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Book a month, like all that yeah. stuff we QTP. Again, not to say no one should do it. It's to question whether you should or shouldn't. And so uh, check out the QTP episodes for sure. Um, so that's the easy part. Uh, the fiction part, which is the fun part, that's what I love. Like, I, I just love fiction. You just like um, brightened up your whole soul. Just I was- did. <laughs> well, because like, because I was a fiction writer for fun, right? Before I started doing it full time. Yeah. And then um, I transitioned out of, uh, out of like communications and success stuff into, uh, into fiction full time in 2012. And then, um, and I did that for years before I got back into this again with writers. And so that's really where my heart was. Mm. Like I always wanted to be a full-time fiction writer. And so um, fiction is the thing that I do that makes me happy. Mm. Uh, and so I, I love it. And so the, the most reason, and the most part of the reason I want to say this is because this title is the most fun title ever. Uh, so the, the sixth book, I think, in the Vanjie series just came out in an anthology. The title of the book is called Vanjie Vale and the Full Metal Frangipan. <laughs> is that, that is not awesome? Beautiful. I love it. Uh, and it's a cozy, culinary cozy, and it's a travel cozy. So the travel cozy is in uh, the Passport to Murder anthology. Oh, fun. And, uh, and it'll be there until, I think, December, January, something like that. But Banji uh, Vale in the Full Metal Fran Japan, and it's a travel cozy about her going to Canada to uh, get away and go on vacation. And of course, because she's Banji, uh, murder follows her everywhere, wherever she goes. And so she uh, does an investigation when she's up there. And the way that the convention is, um, because they're the Match Baker book, so she does a uh, version of reading people's behavior that helps her to predict what they're going to want to eat. And so uh, one of the things she does in the early books, that's what her business is, it's called Match Bakery. And uh, so she's matching people up with, you know, what they want. And the woman uh, in this book who dies is a woman who loves Frangipan. And so... uh, I am already like obsessed and I don't even usually read Cozy, but that is, you have all the best ideas in there already. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. And, and like I said, they're grimdark. So if you're a Cozy fan, be warned, like they do, they do get dark. I want, I want the darkness always. So that makes me even more excited. It's fun. It's really fun. I really like it. So, um, but yeah, that's the latest fiction and um, and then who knows what I'm going to be doing by the, when this comes out, I may have started a whole new genre. Who knows? Like that's the learner, right? I'm like, I'll be fine. 
we'll be fine. Well, Becca, honestly, seriously, thank you so much for everything that you have done thank for you. me. Thank you for being on the show. I know my listeners are going to freak out when they hear this. So listeners do go over to how do you write.net and leave a, leave a comment. Um, thank you, Becca. So, so, yeah. so, so much. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much for joining me on this episode of how do you write? You can reach me on Twitter, Rachel Heron, or at my website, rachelheron.com. You can also support me on Patreon and get essays on living your creative life for as little as a buck an essay at patreon.com slash Rachel, spelled R-A-C-H-A-E-L. And do sign up for my free weekly newsletter of encouragement to writers at rachelheron.com slash write. Now go to your desk and create your own process. Get to writing, my friends.